The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son, or your daughter, nor your manservant, nor your maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The Fourth Commandment, Exodus 20, verse 8. The Lord gave them back the Sabbath. They had not celebrated the Sabbath from the time they sinned, Adam and Eve, in the garden. They lost that fellowship, that time with the Lord God of heaven. The Lord rested on the seventh day. What did he do on the eighth day, or the ninth day, or the tenth day? He rested. He had finished his work of creation. But he gave them one day a week. He came courting them. They were to become his bride. We know from many scriptures that I shared with you yesterday that God planned before the creation of the world that man would need a savior. And Jesus, the creator of heaven and earth, according to Colossians 1, Hebrews 1, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, that Jesus himself would come and die for his bride. He would become the atonement. He would make a way. When they fell, they came under the law. Now, there was no Ten Commandment law, but they broke the command of God, and Satan said, You shall not surely die. Even as the modern church today says, You can sin and you will not die. They're lying to you just like the devil did. The promise was made that Jesus would become our atonement. But Abraham did not have, by any record in Scripture, the Sabbath celebration. There's no record in Scripture that Isaac or Jacob. It wasn't until the children of Israel were taken out of Egypt, the world, and separated unto God himself in the desert 
There the desert represents the world again. They were separated out to the Lord God of heaven. It is God's intention to separate us totally from the world, not to take us out of the world, but to take the world out of us. The atonement offers that cleansing power by the blood of Jesus to make us whole again. Romans, the sixth chapter. Now, this is in way of review, and if you have not listened to yesterday's broadcast, I urge you to go back and listen to it carefully, for it sets the foundation that God had a plan from all eternity to wed we who are human, to make us his bride, to break the power of the devil over our lives and over our hearts, to remove all sin from us and to make us righteous and holy. Now you're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. Today we're going to move forward very rapidly into Hebrews, the wonderful book in the scripture that, above all others, speaks about Jesus as our high priest and his task as our high priest. Now, there is one sin that kept the children of Israel out of the promised land. And in the book of Hebrews, the 12th chapter, I was speaking with, by text with a dear friend last night, Jim Kerwin. He's taught on this radio a number of weeks. He pointed to me the 12th chapter of Hebrews. I'm going to read just a couple of verses for you. So then we also, having so great a cloud of witnesses, and those witnesses are described in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, surrounding us, having already taken off and laid aside every conceivable weight, and the easily ensnaring Sin, not easily ensnaring sins, one sin. Through endurance may we run the race being set before us, looking away unto Jesus, the author and finisher of the faith, who for the joy being set before him endured a cross, having disregarded shame, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What was that easily ensnaring sin? Unbelief. It is unbelief that led to disobedience. It was unbelief that prevented the children of Israel from entering into the promised land. And the result was they died in the wilderness. Now, as we come to Hebrews the third and fourth chapters, we're going to find again the foundation is being laid for the atoning blood of Jesus to bring us into his rest. Now, please let me tell you what we're going to find before we find it, so that you'll look for it. He is now in the third chapter speaking to brothers who are holy who are set apart. And he is warning them, don't take your salvation for granted. Don't say, oh, I'm saved, I'm on my way to heaven, and all I've got to do is accept what Jesus did at the cross. No, that's not all you have to do. You have to believe what Jesus did at the cross, and you have to act on what Jesus did at the cross. It was not finished at Calvary. I hear this very popular saying, oh, it was all finished at the cross. No, it wasn't. If it was, what would Jesus be doing now? You see, there's a difference between the provision and the application. 
He must apply that blood to our hearts as we repent. And then he must maintain us in that walk of holiness, not walking in any known rebellion or sin against the Most High God. But now, I said yesterday, and I want to say it again, the most precious of all of the Ten Commandments to me, and I love God's law. I meditate daily on the law of God. I find it expressed perfectly in the Sermon on the Mount. That's Jesus' modern rendition of the Ten Commandments. I love the fourth commandment because it is the one commandment buried right in the middle of the Decalogue that is the shadow pointing to our Jesus. And it is a shadow. It was one day a week. But in the new covenant, it is seven days a week. We enter fully into the rest of Jesus Christ. Seven days a week. Now, I'll show you the scripture. It says, if you believe that you should keep one day a week separate and special, that's fine. Let every man be convinced in his own mind. But if you're convinced that Sabbath, the seventh day of the week, is still binding on your life, then keep it. But don't miss the point that every day in Jesus is the Sabbath. Remember, he said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and my righteousness, and all of these other things will be added unto you. In the new covenant, we do not work for money. You don't go to that job according to the new covenant for money. You go to that job, whether it's the office or the workshop, whether it's a hospital, whether it's a prison, you go to work in that place as a representative of Jesus Christ to bring the good news of the gospel into that place, to be salt and light in that place. We're called to be priests. Now, if you ask an Old Testament priest, tell me, If the priest rested on the seventh day, physically it was his hardest day. It's when the sacrifices had to be made. It's when the special occurrences happened. It was a full day of work, but it was resting on the Sabbath. It was not breaking the Sabbath. Now, please understand, you're called to be a priest. And every day, you work in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. The Sabbath, the seventh day, can well be, if this is what you believe, a day to come apart and just worship the Lord and not do any work. But I can tell you, I was raised as a Seventh-day Adventist and then served as a pastor for 10 years in an Adventist church. I can tell you the Sabbath was my busiest and toughest day of the week. It was a day filled with preaching and counseling. It was a day filled with ministry. So keeping the Sabbath day does not necessarily mean not working. Keeping the Seventh-day Sabbath means not working for money, but working instead as a priest of the Most Holy God. It still means that. It means that seven days a week. Now let's go to Hebrews. I want you to see this. This is the most precious understanding of the Fourth Commandment. Therefore, holy brethren, this is chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, he's speaking to brothers who are holy, who've been set apart, who've been saved, partakers of a heavenly calling. You must carefully fix attention 
on the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ, being faithful to the one having appointed him, even as Moses in all of his house. Now this one has been considered worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the one having built the house has much greater honor than the house itself. Jesus has much greater honor. He is Lord of the Sabbath. Verse 4, For every house is built by someone, but the one having built all things is God. And Jesus was fully God. And indeed Moses was faithful in all of his house as a servant for a testimony of the things going to be spoken. But Christ is a son over his house, whose house we are, if indeed we may hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm until the end. Therefore, verse 7, just as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, may you not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of temptation, in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, provoked me, and saw my works for forty years. For this reason I was angry with that generation, and I said they are always led astray in the heart. Unbelief flows out of a hardened heart. Unbelief is a choice. Where we say, I will believe what I choose to believe. And we establish our belief based on our experience and our wisdom and our understanding. And those beliefs are faulty. My beliefs have to be based on what the scripture teaches, on what Jesus said. My reality cannot be my experience. My reality must be what Jesus has done and said on the word of Scripture. It says, And they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they will not enter into my rest. And the word rest here in Hebrews, in the Greek, means cessation, it means stopping doing what you're doing. It also means the bedroom, the place of repose, God's bedroom. He's saying that as long as you choose to believe what you choose to believe, and you refuse to believe that there is a place of rest, as long as you do not know the ways of God, you only know your own ways. Do you know the ways of God? I'm learning them. One of my constant prayers is, O oh God, teach me your ways. Teach me your ways that I would please you. Because want to dwell in the rest. Now please understand, they were given one day of rest and six days of their work for them to provide for them what was necessary. But in the new covenant, we are offered seven days of rest. That does not mean we stop working. It means we stop doing our work, but we instead do God's work. Do you get it? Seven days a week we are called, when we are saved, to be servants of the Most High God. And for those seven days a week, we are His servants. We are bearing testimony to His glorious truth that He loves us that we can walk without sin, that we have been washed in the blood, that we are new creatures in Christ Jesus, that we have been born from above. We've been born again. Now, I'm 
deeply concerned because many of you don't want seven days with Jesus. You can barely stand one day. You want your own life. You want your own way. You don't want God's way. You want to believe that you can't stop sinning because that gives you an excuse to continue walking in your sin. You don't want to die and be born from above. Instead, you would rather have Jesus spray-painted on the outside. And that's why I say, and it pains me deeply, but most people who call themselves Christians in America are not Christians. They're pagans at heart. They've just put on a cultural religion. But you're not really any different than the world. I've shared with you, Focus on the Family has done careful research on this. James Barna has done, or George Barna has done careful research on this. And the report is that that most Christians are no different than the world in the way they spend their time and the way they spend their money and the television shows they look at, what they do on the Internet, the games they play, their goals and objectives. Ask somebody, what are your goals? And many Christians will say, When you say, what are you going to do when you retire? They're going to say, well, I've got a bucket list of things I want to go see. Cruises I want to take. They're not going to say, I want to serve Jesus. Just as I have in my work, I want to serve Jesus. No, they'll say, I have this hobby or that hobby. I want more time for my hobbies. I seriously doubt your salvation. I seriously doubt your salvation because you've not yet grasped the truth of entering into the rest of Jesus. You are still going your own way. This causes me heartburn. Somebody said to me, Pastor, last week, Thursday, you got pretty emotional. Yes, I did. It's very emotional for me, and it's very emotional for God. He died for you. He loves you. Verse 12. This is Hebrews, the third chapter, verse 12. You must take heed, brethren. That is, you must must pay attention here. Don't be casual. Pay attention. Heads up. Lest there be in any one of you an evil heart of unbelief in the fall away from a living God. But you must encourage yourselves every day while it is called today, lest any one of you be hardened by the deception of sin, by the deception of the world. You must be very careful. For we have become partners, partakers of the Christ on the condition we may hold firmly the beginning of the trust until the end. Today, if you hear his voice, May you not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For some having heard rebelled, but not all the ones having come out from Egypt by Moses. Now with whom was he angered for forty years? Was it not with the ones having sinned whose dead bodies fell in the wilderness? What is he saying? He's saying, look, You're a holy one right now. You've made a decision to serve Jesus. Now pay attention. Don't be deceived. Don't go back to the ways of the world. Don't go back to your own lifestyle. Enter into the rest of Jesus and stay there seven days a week. 
And to whom, verse 18, And to whom did he swear they would not enter his rest except to the ones having disobeyed? Now we see that they were not able to enter in because of unbelief. They were not able to enter in because of unbelief. It wasn't just unbelief about the one day a week. It was unbelief about whether he would provide water for them, whether he would provide food for them. It was unbelief about whether he would heal them from the snake bites. It was unbelief whether he would lead them to the promised land. And finally, it was unbelief that they could defeat the powerful forces that controlled the promised land. It's no different today. Some of you are are facing what for you is a moral choice. Do I take the jab or do I not take the jab? And some of you will say, I want to go do what I want to do. I want to fly where I want to fly. I want my life, and so I'll take the jab. I'm not telling you you're wrong. But there are some of you who will not take the jab because for you it is morally wrong. I'm one of those. For me, it is morally wrong to take the jab. I'm not going to put into the body of the Holy Spirit, the house of the Holy Spirit, remnants of baby parts. I'm not going to inject into my body dangerous chemicals. I'm not going to inject into my body what will transform my DNA. I pray for those of you who have taken the jab, And I pray that the blood of Jesus Christ will cover you and provide healing and life for you. But I'm under the shelter of the wing of the Almighty, and I trust him. I do not want you to walk in unbelief against the Most High God, which means you don't go against your conscience. You do not compromise. Now he he leaves that in the third chapter, and you know there was no chapter headings when this was written, and no verses. So chapter 4, continuing from chapter 3, Consequently, May we fear, lest a promise being left open to enter into his rest, anyone from among you might think to have missed it. What's he mean? Okay, they were not able to enter because of their unbelief, because they would not believe the word of Jesus. They didn't trust their life in the hands of Jesus Christ. Will you trust your life in the hands of Jesus? Or will you turn in rebellion? Verse 2. For indeed, we are having the gospel preached to us, even as they. But the word of hearing did not benefit them, not having been united with faith. After hearing the word. Now we, the ones having believed, enter into the rest, just as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they will not enter into my rest, even though the works having been finished from the foundation of the world. See, he's not just speaking about a seventh-day Sabbath here, one day a week. He's talking about a a seven-day-a-week Sabbath. For he has said, as we know, concerning the seventh day in this manner. And God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. And in that place again, they will not enter into my rest. 
So he's using the seventh-day Sabbath, one day a week, as a symbol, as a sign of seven days a week. Since then it remains for some to enter into it, and the ones at an earlier time, having had the gospel preached to them, did not enter in because of disobedience, he again set a certain day, saying to David, Today, after so long a time as it has been said, Today, if you hear his voice, may you not harden your hearts. Now if Joshua gave them rest, he would not have spoken concerning another day after this time. Consequently, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one having entered into his rest, even he himself rested from his works as God rested from his own. So he's saying, look, there is a Sabbath rest for you to enter into. And it is a, a symbol. The Sabbath is a symbol or a sign of salvation. Salvation is not one day a week. The apostle who wrote the book of Hebrews is saying, look, the seventh day Sabbath, the one day of rest, is a shadow pointing to seven days of rest, to entering into Jesus Christ, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now listen. So make every effort to enter into that rest that no one may fall by the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active to make things happen and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of both soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, even to discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So God is examining you, and he sees whether you want to simply have a seventh-day Sabbath or a first-day-of-the-week Sabbath, Sunday, or whether you will enter into that rest of seven days a week and keep it as holy as a priest unto the Lord. Now there's not a creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and having been laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Having then a great high priest, having passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Now we do not have a high priest, not being able to sympathize with our infirmities, not having been tested on all things according to the likeness of our nature, apart from sin. May we come near then to the throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. I want to talk for a moment about we may receive mercy and specifically the Greek words behind help in the time of need. The word could be translated literally, but you would not understand it. And so they tried to give us understanding. The word in the Greek is frapping, frapping. Well, what is frapping? When a ship was going into a storm, into heavy water, in those ancient days, a chain or a rope would be wrapped entirely around the ship. Several of them. And this was done to try to keep the ship together so that it would not break apart in the crashing of the waves. It was called frapping. I've been praying that the Lord would frap my life. That he would put the rope of his grace and his mercy around my life. That he would hold me together in the storm that I am going through in this life. If you're following Jesus Christ, 
you know the storms that come. I was going through one of those storms last night. I was extremely tired. And as I came toward the evening, I began to say to myself, this seems hopeless. I preach and I preach and I preach, but I don't see revival. And I began to cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, is this hopeless? Should I just quit? And I remembered the words of my late wife. She was very wise. She said, never make a decision to quit at night. Never make a decision to change what you're doing at night. Always wait for the morning light because the morning light will make it look much different. And it's true. I woke up this morning and I said, Lord, forgive me. I'm not going to quit. Are you kidding me? I've come too far. I'm standing by faith that God is going to do in America what he's promised me he will do. He is going to break forth in power and bring to this nation repentance and sorrow for sin. How's he going to do that? I don't know. But I pray for judgment under repentance on this nation. I know that America will not repent and turn to the living God until severe judgments are poured out upon this nation. Severe judgments with weather are already being poured out. The drought, the fires, the hurricanes, the tornadoes, the pretend pandemic. It was simply and is simply a bad case of the flu. It's not a pandemic. We've been lied to. And I recognize, as a pastor, that our trust is in Jesus Christ. And I must enter into his rest. This is the gospel. The gospel of Jesus is the good news of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It is the proclamation that the kingdom of God is now open to receive sinners. That the gospel kingdom is open to receive you. Now the question is in your camp. What are you going to do with that gospel that he's offering you? My response to that gospel is, yes. Now, please frap my life. Put a chain around me. Keep me together. Don't let me grow discouraged. Don't let me be wiped out. Don't let me believe what I see with my physical eyes. Let me only believe what you have said to me, Jesus. Let me stand in absolute faith in the confidence of the blood of Jesus Christ for America, especially for his church. I'm standing by faith that the day is going to come soon when these videos that have been carefully prepared are going to go viral. Right now, very few want to listen. I understand. It's not what you're used to hearing. You're used to hearing, there, there, everything will be okay. You're fine. You're, you're saved. You're on your way. When most of you are not saved and not on your way. Because you've never entered the rest of Jesus. You're still laboring in your own life. Laboring for... Pharaoh, still in bondage. My brother, my sister, today if you hear his voice, may you not harden your heart. But instead make every effort 
I mean every effort to enter into his rest. It was symbolized by the Sabbath. But that rest is Jesus himself. The rest of God is Jesus Christ. What was preached through all of the New Testament? Jesus. What were we warned about through the entire New Testament? Don't be caught in the clutches of sin, but let the blood of Jesus Christ set you free. Let Jesus break from you every bondage, every discouragement. Let him bring you fully into himself, Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is such an awesome gospel. It has the power to heal the sick and raise the dead. It has the power in the name of Jesus to set you free of alcohol or drugs or tobacco, of lust. It has the power to set you free of bitterness and anger and self-righteousness. It has the power. It is the blood of Jesus Christ shed for you and for me. So we enter into his rest. And there we work as priests of the Most High God, serving our families, our wives, our husbands, our children, serving one another, serving the lost and the dying, bringing forth the kingdom of the Most High God and inviting everyone to enter in, to be crucified with Christ, to be raised in the newness of life, to live a new life in Christ Jesus. Hmm. It's an awesome work we've been invited to do as priests of the Most High God. And whose blood do we minister as priests of the Most High God? Not that of lambs and bulls that cannot remove sin in the here and now. Not that can break the bondage of sin. No. By grace we administer the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we say to every man and every woman, look to Jesus. Put away your sin. Put away your wickedness. Take up the cross of Jesus and be set free. Lord, I come today and I pray Jesus I pray Jesus over every person listening now and who will listen later to this broadcast. I pray Jesus over the wickedness of their heart, over the discouragement of their heart, over the hopelessness of their heart, over the impossible situation they face in the physical world. Lord, I pray Jesus over them because by your name, everything can be changed. Everything can be made new. Everything can be transformed. Lord, I pray Jesus over my brothers and sisters today. Lord, there are some today who are sick, who have COVID. There are some who are even in the hospital. I'm asking now that your spirit would go forth in healing to your children. There are some who are facing impossible odds. They're going to lose their jobs, or they've lost their jobs, or they're going to be evicted from their house. Lord, I pray for their finances. I know that you will provide a way, for that's how you operate. Lord, I pray for those who are still bound by addictions of alcohol 
or drugs, or pornography, or some other unclean thing, a spirit of anger and bitterness, a spirit of pride and ambition. But Lord, I most especially pray for those who've just given up, who are living in fear, just going along to get along. Lord, I pray for them. I pray you'll quicken their spirits now in the name of Jesus. I pray, Jesus, I speak Jesus over your life now. Enter into his rest. Cease from your own labors and trust what Jesus will do for you. I pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Would you share this video with someone? Send them the link. Put it on your social network pages, wherever that is. I'm not on YouTube, and I, or I'm on YouTube, but I'm not on Facebook, and I'm not on a bunch of other social networks. Wherever you're at, would you post a link to this? And would you write to me? I'd love to hear from you. I thank those of you who've been giving so kindly toward the cost of the broadcast for this month. Would you write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, my address is National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. I also invite you to go to our webpage. It's nationalprayerchapel.com. We're also going to be soon found on BitChute. We're transferring everything there as well in case YouTube goes down for us. And if YouTube ever does go down and they strike us and say you can't be on YouTube anymore because of what you're saying, Come to our webpage and you'll find the connection for where you can go next. But go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. Nationalprayerchapel.com. There you'll find YouTubes, you'll find podcasts, you'll find all the information about the National Prayer Chapel. And if you're in the Washington metro area, I invite you to come on Sunday. Come and worship with us. You'll find us friendly, but you'll find us very, very straight, and we're not playing games. We're about Jesus, and we're about holiness. We want to serve Him with joy and thanksgiving, and we want to serve one another in joy and thanksgiving. God bless you, my brother and my sister. I love you. We'll talk soon. Before the presence of his glory with great joy.